Today's gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to Mark, the sixth chapter, verses 30 through 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. Jesus said to them, Come away to, the, to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away and boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they heard they were put from all the towns and arrived ahead of him. As he went ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves. But Jesus answered them, You give them something. And they said to him, Are we going to go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves have you got? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves. And he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate, and all were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered five thousand men. Plus three and Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be an honor and a glory to you. Amen. So in verse 30, we connect back to two weeks ago when Jesus sent out the disciples to go preach with his two-by-twos with nothing but the sandals on their feet and the staffs in their hands. And we kind of get a report back so they come and they tell them all that he had done and taught. Unlike the other Gospels, we don't get a full explanation of that, but the one I remember the most is when the disciples come to Jesus, I believe in John, and say, We've cast our feelings in your name. And Jesus says, Don't rejoice in the fact that you do that. Rejoice in your name is in the book of eternal life. But anyways, as it, as it is going, Jesus sees the disciples are out doing mission work in verse 31, and he tells them, come away to a wilderness. I don't like this translation because it obscures everything we're going to get to today. He says, come out to the wilderness by yourselves and rest for a while. And that's really important. It's going to be very important. And we get kind of how busy the disciples are working. Because it says here, they had no leisure even to eat. So the disciples obviously are being very successful in their mission work. They're going out, they're, they're preaching in the towns, and it seems the disciples themselves are starting to get the reputation that was attached to Jesus. So, oh, here comes Peter. He's one of those 
40. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. That's how Moses groups the people during Exodus. So what comes next is a contrast. In verse 34, I'm sorry, verse 35, when the hour gets late, the disciples say, well, we've got to feed these people somehow, send them out to go get it. Jesus said, no, 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 no. We're going to have our own feast. Mark is setting up a contrast to last week. If you happen to miss us last week, we were talking about the story of Herod and his feast, in which the king and the important people, they all got drunk. Then you had a vivacious belly dancer, jingling and dancing around, and extracting from Herod the promise, from Herod the promise, to behave John the Baptist. So the earthly little kingling that we learned last week wasn't even a king and got fired for wanting the name, who had the palace and the pretend and built his, his palace on top of a graveyard which was ritually unclean to Jews. Herod is having a sumptuous feast that ends with John the Baptist dying, and Jesus is going to be out in the wilderness, stepping off the boat as the one greater than Moses, as the one who steps into David the shepherd's role, the new king, and is going to have a solemn, humble feast. But he's going to show the difference between the two and the way he uses his power to get there. See, one of the reasons we're going through Mark so line to line is to realize all the different strands that Mark is weaving together here to get the best reading out of it that he can. So to just kind of continue with it, we get into verse 35. The disciples point out the issue with what Jesus is doing. And they are not polite in tone. That's why I read it as I did, because when they, when they uh, tell them, when Jesus tells them, give them something to eat, the response, are we going to go get basically a year's worth of wages? And, and we're going to go, we're going to take all that money to use that we don't have, and we're going to buy all this food that we don't have, and we're going to just give it to them to eat. We will see next week that Jesus is going to rebuke his disciples for this. And this whole action it is something that the disciples do and the crowd is not privy to what's going on. The disciples here get mad at Jesus even suggesting this idea and they're not going to forgive him for it. It will really come through next week. So it's just important here to remember that they are in Crazy, I can't even pronounce the words I know sometimes. They are just completely upset that Jesus has asked them to do it. And Jesus insists. Jesus set up the situation, tells them to do the impossible. They say, hey, it's impossible. And Jesus says, no, do it. Because verse 38 is probably also a bit terse. How many loaves have you? Jesus, we can't do it. And then you're asking how many loaves we got. And he forces them to count it out. And what they found out in contrast again to Herod's piece of wine and who knows what else, those suckling pages, Herod, they have a humble meal of five loaves and two fishes. And so then Jesus in 39 orders the people to sit down on the green grass. That is one of the reasons we read Psalm 23 today. There's even imagery in the color of the grass. 
There are many different verses about how the Messiah would bring the wilderness to fruit. That out in that second exodus, the Lord's renewing power would change things. So, Jesus sets up an exodus moment. He sits the people in 50s and 100 in verse 40, and they sit down on green grass. Jesus has said, these are like people without a shepherd, and he's recalling, the Lord is my shepherd who sets me down on green grass. Jesus is throwing the whole Old Testament into what he's going to be next. So we get to 41, and then there's a little bit of cultural difference, not about the It was always traditional and almost mandatory. You couldn't get away with it in any day like you could always, for Jewish people to pray before meeting. But Jesus makes a movement that's slightly different here. When a first century Hebrew would pray for a meal, he always looked down. Jesus makes the look up, <laughs> indicating that he is really, <laughs> really expecting the power of God to come through this one and on this blessing. He's looking there for it to come. And the disciples are given the loaves after Jesus has broken them up and told to pass them out. Now this is why the disciples will earn themselves a rebuke ultimately, because one of the points Mark is here trying to make is, of those 5,000 people out in the crowd, one, all of them forgot to pack lunch when they went and followed Jesus and everything, but as far as they know, the church just had a really great barbecue. They don't know where the food came from. They don't know any of the, of the supernatural elements behind it. For them, it's just passing around a regular plate. The only ones that are privy to the secret here, and it's even going to say, and um, it's going to say later on when Jesus asked, do you not remember the meaning of that in Mark? But the disciples are the only ones who know how short they are on food. It, it, it's very often in, in our discipleship that it, it's only really the, the general board of your church that knew how broke we were when we started that program that somehow worked. It's only the parent that knows how low the flour is and that miracle where Elijah keeps the oil and bread coming during the famine. The child is not privy to it. So the disciples in there, in their position, know what's going on. The folks out in the field eating the manna that the new Moses has given them, do not. So 42, Mark drives home that it is supernatural. All ate and all were filled. There's not just food, there's more food than anyone needs. And in 43, they take up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. So just if anyone had any doubts, they've got leftovers. This one recalls the, the story of Moses when he's actually asked to give meat in the desert. And, ah, here we go. In Numbers 11, Moses, when he's asked to feed everybody, gives this complaint. Where shall I find meat to give all these people? Shall all the fishes of the sea be gathered together for them just to satisfy them? The disciples here holding all the gathered up bread pieces know the answer to that. It's yes. 
an amazing work. Isaiah 25 fulfilled that the Messiah will give a feast in the wilderness. And we even get a little bit of Jewish culture because they have all these baskets. One thing I used to ask as a child was, okay, I get where the bread comes from, I get where the fish comes from. But where do they get the 12 extra baskets? Yeah, everyone misses that. Well, it turns out that according to scholars, Carrying little baskets was an inherent part of being Jewish in those days. And any bread that fell on the ground, you were using a picnic or something, you took up and put into your little basket that you carried around. It's kind of like your lunchbox slash do not waste it container, because bread was considered so important you couldn't just throw it away. You had to keep it even if it fell on the ground. So not only did they pick up 12 baskets full of broken pieces, the implication of that is, is those are the pieces that fell out while they were eating. So it's not even like they were leftovers. They're the, they're the leftovers of the leftovers. The, the stuff that hadn't fallen on the ground, people thought they might have wanted later, they could go ahead and take with them. In contrast to Moses' manna that was bad the next day. So this is just an amazing provision. And 44, verse 44, drives it home that those who've eaten numbered 5,000 men. It is Jesus play to the disciples who see and know what's going on as the one who is greater than Moses, the one who is greater than Abraham, is standing right there. This is something Israel had not seen in all of its history except once. And it's being repeated. And it's being repeated in the context of the kingdom of Christ has come and repent, a inbreaking of the kingdom. So, the biblical application of that is, of course, the person of who Jesus is and just how mighty and powerful he is, and also contrasting it to Herod and what the people were expecting. Our practical application of this passage today can go along similar lines. We, as the disciples, are often very privy to the wonderful provisions that the Lord has made. We, as parents, as the elder sibling, or just the adults in the room, are aware of those times that that five loaves and those two fish have gone a lot further than they should have. But we also have to question in our hearts that when we have seen those times and those provisions, have we truly given glory and honor to the Lord for making it so? It's not an accident when providence smiles upon you and stretches it. It is the way that the shepherd here portrays himself as dealing with his people. And so I also say that that has some responsibility and charge placed on all of us that are over a certain age because it's only by sharing those stories of provision that we can pass it on to the children. Because everybody in that crowd, as Mark leaves it, didn't know what just happened. It wouldn't be till later that anyone would ever tell them about the massive miracle that had gone on. We, as we get older, have a, have a charge to share those ways in which the Lord has provided and worked through our lives with those who come later to us. Okay, the generational thing. 
Second application, and one that I will end on for today, is the application to the church in general. There is a saying us pastors are fond of that resources follow vision. I'm not too fond of the, the vision um, crazy because it, it can become this you have a dream and God blesses you with dream stuff that has nothing to do with the Bible. But that saying has validity at least as far as the fact goes. When the disciples are out in the wilderness and are completely down on any ability to provide for the folks to whom the Lord is giving them, it's in those situations where you only have five loaves and two fish that faithful discipleship on the part of a congregation will bring the resources to do what God is moving to do. Jesus here specifically set up the situation so they'd be in the middle of nowhere and the disciples, when they suggested, oh, send them off into the town. Epping couldn't handle, and we have modern restaurants, 5,000 people suddenly descending upon the Cumberland Farms and Applebee's and everywhere else. Some one century AD town of maybe 500 people is not going to eat them even if they cleaned out all the cellars. Jesus sets up these situations and we don't have enough. The disciples are shorthanded if they look to themselves and to their own provisions and what's already in their belts. So what I'm getting to that is, is as a congregation, as a church, and as those who would faithfully witness to others, who maybe run a program that would reach the youth or do this or that or the other thing, it's not a decision we make dependent solely upon our financial positions or what seems possible to us as volunteers or what we have in our own mind of ideas on how to do it. Many churches have, in fact, neglected their responsibilities and have not only failed to grow into the situations where faithful discipleship would take them, but have gone into regression. They have shrunk the resources that they were not willing to risk for the kingdom, the, well, let's pass out what we got and see what God does with it, attitude would have been more faithful. And to just go with Joshua, because Jesus is named after him, and we pointed it out today, God's people, every generation, will always face the same choice Joshua did. When the twelve went into the Holy Land, ten of the spies came back and said, The land is full of giants, and we are but grasshoppers, and we can't do anything about it. Let us not cross over the Jordan, and let us stay in the wilderness where it is safe and warm, and we get fed manna, and we don't have to do anything. Caleb and Joshua said, No, it's the promised land. It is the land of milk and honey. Let us never fear in the kingdom now that Christ has come, stepping foot into the Jordan and waiting over to the other side. For Christ has shown in today's reading that he is the God who feeds 5,000. And honestly, you don't have enough food even for me because I eat so, let's pray.